Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell here with my buddy, Tim Miller, and we are taping a quick little topper over today's episode, which is all about the also-rans, the other people in the Republican primary, and the focus groups that you're going to hear from today. That sound was gathered after the first debate, but we are going to do a little update because we just had the second debate and our assessments of where the race stands and how people are performing was neither enhanced nor changed, other than what Nikki Haley said about all of us getting a little bit dumber, which I think is a good mm. kind of wrap for the whole thing. But Tim, I know you went to the Beyonce concert instead of watching the debate, but I assume you caught some clips this morning or something? I watched the rerun. I woke okay. up, I cuddled up under the covers, and I just I watched the rerun, and I got to tell you, I made the right choice. Uh, Beyonce <laughs> was right much, choice. much better. And this is the Focus Group Podcast, so I have the humility to say there's a possibility that we'll all gather together in two weeks and, you know, you'll be talking to some people in Dubuque and they'll be like, man, that Tim Scott Curtin's comment, that really was it for me. I'm a single issue voter on window treatments and I've, I'm giving him a second look now. I, you know, I guess it's anything is possible. But boy, the thing that struck me is that none of their strategies changed. You know, the first debate happened. Nikki went up two points. Everyone else stayed flat, and they went and did the second debate, and they all did the same thing, basically. I, I mean, I guess Ron DeSantis criticized Donald Trump, what, like one hour and 59 minutes into the debate, something to that effect? Uh, you know, very late into it. I and mean, you have a whole hour where Chris Christie's the only one that mentions Trump. Uh, who's watching this that long? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why anybody stuck with it until the end when they got the survivor question of who they would vote off the island. It seemed like a fair question, by the way. People on Twitter were like dogging that question, but I was like, Dana's point, maybe it was a little shticky or whatever, but Dana's point is right. Dana Perino. There are too many of them. Yeah. Way too many. <laughs> yeah. But also, Ron DeSantis, instead of taking the opportunity, as ultimately Chris Christie did, to say, Donald Trump, yeah. uh, he was like, I will not dignify this. I won't answer this. I mean, it was a better question than the UFO question they closed on last time. But this is an absolute clown show. You know what, Tim? Sometimes the Republicans will do this thing where they say, any of us up on this stage would be a huge improvement over Joe Biden. Nobody can say that. <laughs> Nobody can say that. You are all terrible, except for, look, I'll be honest. Nikki Haley continues. There's a part of me, my old Republican-ish, sure. whatever, when she's saying things, and I'm like, that was a substantive answer. That was not idiotic. She's saying it a little fast and frantic because she's trying to, like, get things in time. But, like, they're answers that are coherent and make sense. Not all of them. Yeah, but sure. she's the best one up there by a mile. And I think that the only thing that even remotely changed or, like, had any impact whatsoever is that I think there's a bunch of donor National Review world remorse for going all in on DeSantis and not taking Nikki as the alternative because she's a better all-around politician. Yeah, she's certainly a better performer. It's funny. So before I even watched the debate, I had several messages from people saying what you just said. I liked Nikki. And some of them are Democratic friends. Some of them are former Republicans like us. Some of them are still Republicans. I'm like, well, that means she probably lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, sure. I, I think what you said is right. Like, it also probably means that there's some remorse and that she's she'll consolidate the college ed vote more. But it's just like, 
that's not the median primary voter. That's and so right. median primary voter is different. And it's not that there's nobody, right? I mean, sure, if she consolidated all those votes and got half of the DeSantis vote that's college ed and scooped up the Christie vote, you know, you get up to 20% or so, maybe even 25. That's not nothing, but it's not 45. Right. You know, and, and that's the fundamental problem. It is the fundamental problem. Uh, Mike Pence, when he talks, it's like time stops for me. <laughs> like, I'm just like, are we going to get through this? And the other ones are like Vivek talks really fast. Mm-hmm. Nikki talks really fast. DeSantis talks kind of fast and angry. And so Mike Pence is just on a different tempo than the rest of them. Yeah, Can't say he's doing much to help his cause, though. No. And the applause lines. Does anybody have more like pauses for me? That's just how he talks. But it seems like he's pausing for applause where there's no applause. No applause. Often. Yeah, You know, like he was really building up, like he got asked about Obamacare and instead gave an answer about how he wants an expedited death penalty for mass shooters yeah. <laughs> because like he doesn't have a health care policy. <laughs> really. and, and he thought, and this again, this goes like the cosplay MAGAism, you know, like these guys think they're like, I'll say, you know, extreme stuff like Trump and that's what people like, you know, and he's like, and these mass shooters they will be killed in months. And it's like blahs and the crowd's like, okay, I guess fine. I don't know. Just isn't, just isn't happening for him. Tim Scott, Nikki Haley getting in whatever that weird fight was about curtains. It's like, it's so stupid. Window treatments are expensive though. Their window treatments are shockingly expensive. It's the one thing you learn about a new house. There is something to that. Mm -hmm. But Tim Scott, I had a little bit of Jeb PTSD with Tim Scott because I I can explain what he was trying to do or what his team was trying to do. He disappeared in the first debate. And so this happened to us, right? And so it's like, you know, you're talking too much about policy. Now Jeb's better at the policy stuff than Tim Scott. Tim Scott's not good at anything. But, you know, I was like, you were doing the policy answers, but you weren't getting in on any of the exchanges. So you got to do the thing that's not natural to you. Right, which is to argue on stage. Like that was not Jeb's strength. That's not Tim Scott's strength. And so you're, the team like gives them like here are four things. If you get a chance with Nikki, you go at her on the curtains, and if you get a chance with <laughs> Vivek, you go at him on the on the Hunter Biden chat. You know, like he had four prepared things, but he couldn't execute. You know what I mean? He issued the attack clunkily, and then when the other person rebutted it, he like didn't have anything to do except for like, <laughs> like you're wrong. No, curtains, <laughs> YouTube. He just isn't made for this. This is like goes to show you that rich people are not all smart. Like there was a rich man that met Tim Scott and was like, I believe so much that you are going to be the one to take out Trump. That I'm going to give you $60 million of my own money. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. I wonder, <laughs> can they get refunds? I mean, he hasn't spent all that money. You should give that money back. And you know what? Jeff Rowe should give back the $97 million from Never Back Down Pack, and all of them should go home. You know, when I was thinking about, there's a real, going to be a real issue for Republican consultants, like, because there's really now only two kinds of consultants. The incompetent ones who work for people like Tim Scott and really Ron DeSantis. Like, DeSantis' world should be humiliated by the campaign that they've run. Then there's, like, Tony Fabrizio and Chris, what's his name? Rossavito, yeah. Yeah, who are working for Trump, who are soulless, horrible people who shouldn't be able to sleep at night. Yeah, it's pretty bleak. And the people who can tell themselves, like, I work for Nikki Haley, and also we have no future in this party. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, this is why the path to the top of Republican politics is a lot quicker these days, you know? Also, there's a supply and demand thing where it's appealing. Like, sociopaths look at this, and they're like, oh, yeah. 
these people will not care that I'm soulless and they're so incompetent, you know, that the path to the top is a lot quicker than having to grind it out as a Democrat. Yeah. Well, Tim, thanks for watching it so that we could do this little topper. But um, I think that the show's going to hold up. We taped it about a week ago. But I think it's going to hold up perfectly well. Just fine. Just fine. So go enjoy the show, guys. Thanks, Tim. See ya. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Focus Group Podcast. I'm Sarah Longwell, publisher of The Bulwark, and I hope all of you groupies are excited for part two of our season premiere, Palooza. Like that? Groupies? Focus groupies? (laughs) As I think we demonstrated on last week's show, you can kind of put this Republican primary into two categories, before Trump's indictments and after. Today, we're checking in on how the rest of the field has been faring, or not, They've become more and more of a lost cause since Trump started getting indicted. Now, to be clear, and as many of you may remember from last season, a critical piece of Republican voters were, at one time, considering moving on from Trump. But there's a key problem. Republican voters think Trump was a pretty great president. And Ron DeSantis, who once looked attractive and electable as an alternative, has fallen off in a major way. Vivek Ramaswamy is capturing some of that DeSantis attention currently, Then there's Mike Pence, two South Carolinians trying to get attention, or a spot on Trump's ticket, who can say, and the likes of Chris Christie and Asa Hutchinson kicking around. Now, my guest today to talk about the undercard or the also-rans is the Bulwark Zone, Tim Miller. Tim, thanks for being here, buddy. Happy to be here. Uh, You know, right on the heels of Jake Tapper, just a little handsome, handsome duo to get started. I know a theme when I see one. Yeah. I will say, speaking of just physical appearances, I forgot that we were doing this for video and went on a run right beforehand. So I do look Mm. a shade (laughs) tomato-y. A little flush. A little flush. (laughs) That's okay. At least it's not a sunburn. We've got such loyal listeners and it's cute. Sometimes it gets a little annoying, but it's so cute. So I'll come on after a weekend outside at the pool and I'll have listeners be like, did you put on your sunscreen, young man? (laughs) <laughs> for listeners who are worried that you might be burnt. No, that's not it. Just a little flush. Yeah, this is, this is what happens if I do any exercise whatsoever. What do you think of groupies? Do we like groupies? I, li- I, I cackled. Yeah. I cackled. I like it. This is See, running is good. It clears my head. Because mm-hmm. you know what? I got to say, speaking of our listeners, they were like hostile about mm. the Focus Group podcast being off like our longish hiatus. Which I just want to explain, you know, it was painful for me. It was more painful for me than it was for you. But I want to be able to go through the 2024 election without stopping. And that's a lot of shows between now and 2024. And so... You're committing to that? You're not even taking Christmas off? I mean, I might take Christmas off, but like, it is hard for me not to communicate the focus groups to people. Uh, I, I mean, this summer was tough. But also, what was great is like... The level of annoyance from people that we were off, like people were like yell at me, like Longwell, what are you doing? Are you lazy? Like, where's the focus group podcast? And I want to tell you, that makes me very happy. I like being yelled at by the groupies, the focus groupies. Groupies. I love it. All right, Tim. So you have this thesis about <laughs> this particular Republican primary that you wrote about in the Bulwark a couple months ago. And you said there are two Republican primaries going on and only one is real. Please explain. Yeah, my thesis is essentially that there's a real primary that's taking place among the voters that will decide who the Republican nominee is. Uh, Many of the voters in these focus groups, they have 
strong views about where the party should go. While we're shouting out each other's articles in the bulwark, you wrote one a little while back about the fact that there's a before Trump element to the party and an after Trump. And and no matter what actually happens to Trump, most of the voters of the Republican Party are happy with that switch to the more MAGA, more populist, more punchy, whatever you want to call it. They like the Trumpian version of the Republican Party. And so those voters you know, were looking at this field. They liked Trump, like you said in that intro. Some of them were in the Trump cult. We're never going to leave them. There was another group, I think that was the key group in this primary, that liked Trump but was looking around. But they were only looking around for people that represented that post-Trump party, right? And so they were interested in Ron DeSantis. They wanted to take him for a walk around the block. Vivek was going to be appealing to them. After that, the rest of this field isn't really doing that much to appeal to that group, with maybe one exception we can get into. And so uh, the real primary was taking place among those voters, voters that like Trump and were deciding whether they wanted to re-up with him or look around. There is then another group of people, you know, maybe about 20% of the Republican primary electorates, not enough to win, but a huge majority of donors and, and political strategists and commentators on the Republican side who don't like Trump and want to go back to the pre-Trump party in some form or another. And they have been participating in a fantasy primary that's very well financed and has a lot of money in it with a lot of TV ads, a lot of discussion and podcasts and and cable news hits where they talk about what might happen if the person, you know, that emerges from that fantasy primary wins, but they don't actually have a plan to win. And most of the people participating in the real primary, the MAGA voters, like barely even know that it's happening. (laughs) they They don't know anything about Tim Scott. They know they don't like Mike Pence, that they're not paying attention to the jockeying. And so, you know, we've had this kind of weird bifurcated primary that like one of which that takes place among Candace Owens listeners and, you know, Newsmax watchers and another one that takes place among a kind of D.C. political class. Yeah. You know, I saw a news story in which a reporter was hypothesizing who might Mike Pence choose as his vice president positing Mike Pence was open to choosing a woman, but he like can't dine alone with her because mother disapproves. Right. But I was just like, this whole thing is just not even a real conversation. Mike Pence will never choose a vice president. Mike Pence can't, as JVL likes to point out all the time, our colleague, he can't walk through a Trump rally without security for his physical safety. This guy's not going to be choosing a vice president anytime soon. Tim Scott was also asked this. Did you see who he posted is on his short list? Is it, is it Trump? This is fun fantasy. It's like risk. You know, I've taken over Africa. Um, in model presidency, Tim Scott threw out Mike Pompeo, Trey Gowdy. Oh, Trey Gowdy. Yes. Yeah, I forget the third one. Those three white guys. That's a fun little thing to imagine if you're Tim Scott. Sure. Who you might pick. Mike Pompeo, who clearly ran the numbers on whether or not he had any purchase in the Republican Party and opted out of running his own campaign. Okay, so before we get into the clips, I want to make something clear. You're hearing this show after the second GOP debate, but all of the focus group sound in today's show is referring to the debates back in August, so the first debate. Now, I know we just did a whole episode on Trump, but I feel like we can't start this show without giving you a taste of what we've heard in recent months about why Republican voters don't want to move on from Trump. So let's listen. We need to stand back, look at his record, see what he's done. It was the best four years that we have all had in the last 10. Uh, It was a great time. None of us can say it is now. We need a man that is strong as hell, a brick house, and he is that man, and we need him back. And, And let him continue to poke at him. Let him continue to persecute him. 
It'll only work in their disfavor, believe me. I know how Trump is. I know he says a lot, but he gets the job done, and that's that's kind of where my stance is. It could take a little bit to move me off that stance. He deserves paid for all the bullshit they put him through. And the best way would be to win the presidency back. And if he doesn't get in, nobody else is going to hit the ground running. I think it's a, another opportunity for him to try to finish what he started. Similar to her saying he can finish what he started, I feel like he got undercut from the time that he could have and that there's more that he wanted to do and more that he could do, more that he's willing to do that he should be given the chance to. I feel like he got shortchanged last time around with the whole COVID business. He's a brick house. Brick house, yeah. He's so strong. The athletic challenge between Biden and Trump, I feel like, is what the country so. needs at this point. I want to see Donald Trump shirtless, maybe a triathlon. Let's see him swimming <laughs> and just see that brick house body that he's got underneath there. So I think there's a lot of sort of people in consultant land, and we argue this from time to time, that we think that there's a world where people could really be attacking Trump on sort of competency, right? Like he didn't build the wall, uh, the ballooning national debt. Mm -hmm. But what I am struck by these little selections here that we just played, they are so consistent across the groups. Like that is just like a little taste. This idea that Trump did a great job is just replete through the groups. And so how can somebody credibly attack his competence with Republican voters when they think he's like the greatest president of their lifetimes? And these guys all did this to themselves, the Trump challengers. They, they bound themselves in this little trap rhetorically. Is this not what every Fox host said, what every Republican politician said for all four years? Uh, you know, I don't love all the tweets. You know, I don't love the mean tweets, but really the policies. He's doing a great job. He's a strong leader. That lands with people. That that resonated with people. And I do think the first three years of his presidency, we talked about this a lot in real time, we got kind of lucky. Like there weren't crises. The economy was slowly but surely on the same improving track it had been on for a decade. It was getting gradually better and better ever since the Great Recession. And so I think that that resonated with people. They're like, all the people that I respect and trust that he was doing a good job and that all the people that criticized him had TDS. My economic position was getting gradually better until the pandemic happened. And then when they had the opportunities to kind of point out his failures, none of them did. They all made excuses for him throughout the entire presidency. So I do think then it becomes very challenging in 2023 to come on the scene and talk about the guy who you ran an ad talking about how you want to teach your kids to be like him because he's such a strong leader and now say, well, actually, he wasn't that great. I mean, you know, the wall didn't quite get built. And, you know, it becomes very challenging to do that at that later date. You seem like the disingenuous one. <laughs> in a campaign with Trump, the professional liar, it makes you seem like you're the liar because you were lying. You're telling the truth now, but you'd been lying for, you know, seven years. So let me ask you. So obviously we talk about this a lot, the sort of the collective action problem of Republicans. One thing I wonder about that I genuinely don't know the answer to is like, was it definitely always going to go this way? Or if Ron DeSantis had been a different human, a human and made different choices about which constituency he was going to try to appeal to the natural one of people who wanted to move on from Trump as opposed to sort of wrestling Trump for the always Trumpers. If all of them had acted like Chris Christie, if Pence, Christie, DeSantis, Haley, if they'd all trained their fire on Trump and talked about electability, moving on, would that have worked if they were competent at it, right? They're not all doing this weird 
no, he was a great president, but I just disagree with him. Like if they all went hard. Yeah, I'd love to rerun and see it. I think that it's possible. I think that both sides are possible. I don't know. This might have been fait accompli. Yeah. I just think that after the election in the midterms, that moment was so stark where people were moving on from you were seeing it in the focus groups. It was showing up in the quantitative data. It's showing up everywhere. Rupert is saying he's ready to move on. Even Laura Ingram was starting to say this, right? Like, not just the candidates. And the entire triangle of doom, or the two-thirds of your triangle of doom, all said, guys, come on. Like, we can't do this again. We just lost every one of the Trump-endorsed candidates in the midterms. Let's talk about how he's a loser. Let's talk about how he's delusional in the election. Could that have worked? And had the person here, you know, putting all their eggs in one basket not been around DeSantis? You know, and that's a lot of ifs. I don't think it was fate accompli. I think that there was a window to do it, and they were just too cowardly to attempt it. Yeah, so I agree with this. This is also my assessment. And you're right. We can't run this counterfactual for real. But one thing I can be really sure of is that everybody decided from Sununu to Paul Ryan, Trump can't win. He won't win and he can't win. Well, you know what? If that's your only argument, not that it was immoral, not that he tried to stage a coup, not that he's uh, too old and not that he actually didn't do a good job. Like if, if it's only that he can't win, the second he starts polling even with Biden or anywhere in the range, your argument's gone. And that's all they did. They all chose this incredibly safe route that was just, look, I'm on side, I'm on the team, but, you know, he can't win. He won't be the nominee. So wrong. So wrong. I want to talk about DeSantis because that's where you were going with this. Ron DeSantis is also sort of not the great electable white knight. He used to be. He was really riding high, as you just noted, after the 2022 elections. You know, he just won by 19 points and Trump's favorite candidates had lost. But now, today, the real clear politics average for the Biden-DeSantis matchup is Biden plus 2.8. And the Biden-Trump average is Trump plus 0.5. Biden is outperforming DeSantis. Trump's outperforming Biden. Heck of a job, Jeff Rowe. Yeah, Jeff Rowe. I hope he never works in politics again. The day before we take the show, we just got a New Hampshire poll that saw DeSantis fall from a high point of 43% in that same poll in January. He's now down to 10% in the latest poll. And he is in fifth place. Fifth place. Mm. So to be clear, DeSantis is still in national polling in the upper echelon of the field and with voters in the groups. But I think a lot more negativity has creeped in since we last talked about him on the show. And I think that explains a lot of his fade. So let's listen. When DeSantis said he was running, I was pretty happy about that. But he's just gotten killed in the polls. I mean, he's kind of acted weird. It just seems like he lost all his confidence that he used to have when he was a governor. Now he is too polarizing even more so than Trump in certain fashions. Um, but I like him. I mean, I, I think uh, I think he's a good leader. Uh, people love him in Florida. He's fine. Um, he's uh, less aggressive than Trump. And he is a policy wonk, so he knows how to sort of pull the levers of government. There might be a couple things about his personality that seem a little wooden. Um, he might need to work on that. DeSantis was a great governor. I don't know, but something's weird. Something weird is going on. Why do you think he's weird? He's gone quiet. It's like somebody is paying him to stay quiet. Yeah, his whole personality's just changed. He's not as mouthy as he used to be. He's not as like 
you know, let's, let's beat them up. Let's go. This is stupid as it used to be. And, you know, if I thought gotten soft, yeah, I think he's gotten soft. I think he's gone quiet and he's gotten soft and he's accepted some money somewhere along the line. He stood a certain way with Trump and now he's kind of starting to twist things and turn things into the opposite direction. And I think he's great for Florida. I think he's great at running a state. I just don't think that I would trust him to run a country. He is very much one of those political swampy guys. I think that he's very wishy-washy. He comes off a certain way, but when you really watch him, just some of his facial expressions. I just feel like he's kind of like a Trump mini, but I like Trump, so not really in the good way. Like, if you're going to have a Trump-type personality, which I feel like DeSantis have, just get Trump. She's making great points. Some really compelling points points. in those groups. (laughs) Except for the one lady that seemed to be maybe implying that there was a a second DeSantis. I don't know why all the magas immediately go to the doppelganger theory. I don't know what it is. Can we blame the Marvel movies about that? I don't know. It's very popular. There are two Fettermans. There are two DeSantises. I'm not sure it was body double, but like she was suggesting that maybe someone's paying him. Like he's been bought off. Like there's definitely a conspiracy in there somewhere. It just isn't clear what the conspiracy is. I thought the woman that talked about the mini Trump, why not just have Trump? That was right on brand. But equally on brand was the woman right before her who was saying basically that I thought he was making some great points when he was talking about how good Trump was. But now he's starting to get all squirrely and wishy-washy. This goes back to what I was saying in the intro, right? Just about this notion that like you can't say Trump's the best for seven years and then all of a sudden start criticizing him. People listen to that and and it it makes things sound like something's wrong with you. That's right. And you know, if you read some of the stories right now about DeSantis's campaign, the extent of the hedging now, right, they're not winning Iowa. Mm. Their expectation setting is all about like, well, if we come in a close-ish second, yeah. then we get it down to a two-man race by South Carolina. And I'm like, in what world do the two South Carolinians <laughs> drop out before their home state to make it a two-man race for you, Ron? I just... Second, third... Third, second, question mark, Republican nominee. (laughs) (laughs) Super Tuesday with states such as Texas and California, where Trump is Louisiana, where where Trump's winning like 70. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. So, uh, no offense, but uh, as part of a campaign, you have worked on some campaigns in which You went from high expectations, people thinking you're the guy, establishment favorite, and suddenly voters don't like you anymore. Yeah. Do you think the cake's baked on DeSantis at this point, or does he get a second look at all? I think it's pretty close. The ones that think that he does have better than Jeb did, and I don't think anything is better about Ron DeSantis than Jeb, but about his political prospects, is that the Iowa electorate does kind of line up with DeSantis much more than it did with Jeb, right? And so he does still have this kind of emergency break glass thing that you just, you know, I think that it's close to dead, but he can at least do this. So you're saying there's a chance thing where I don't think that we could by this point. It was about October that I knew Jeb's campaign was over and maybe other people might have known by September. I always said, and I think I said this on Next Level, In the Jeb campaign, I was like, if we dip below Trump and Marco, it's over. 
because people don't really give you a second look. I was saying to uh, Mike Murphy, uh, I couldn't talk to Mike Murphy, but I was saying to people that talked to Mike Murphy, who was working on the Jeb Super PAC, you might know Mike Murphy from Hacks on Tap podcast, which Sarah was on recently. You know, he was running the Super PAC and they had the more money over there. And I was like, we need to spend money to lift Jeb up so that he doesn't drop so far in the polls that you get this loser stink. And DeSantis has the loser stink on him. And now he's obviously way below Trump. But in these polls, as you mentioned, he's dipping below Vivek in a couple, uh, below Haley in a couple. If that becomes consistent, it's hard to see why people give him a second look. It makes much more sense for them to give Haley and Vivek a look. So you mentioned Vivek, and that's DeSantis's other problem, right? For the people willing to move on from Trump in this primary, there's another hotter candidate Uh, that's capturing their imaginations, and that's Vivek Ramaswamy. We're grading on a curve here on hotness. (laughs) (laughs) Let's listen to some of the Ramaswamy love from recent months. On the high level, government needs to be run like a business. On the low level, at the state level, take care of your people. You know, a little bit more take care of your people, but on on the high level, it needs to be run like a business. And I like that uh, Vivek has that kind of a mindset versus a career politician mindset. And Nikki Haley was really quick to jump on him about him not knowing foreign policy. You know what? No presidential candidate, I don't care who they are, I don't care what side they're on, knows everything about all the different divisions that a president has to, you know, touch and get involved in. That's why they have people they appoint to those positions, advisors to advise them. Ramaswamy has a lot of good responses and comments, and I think he has a very polished message. But my problem with him is that if you look at some of his previous stances, he has flip-flopped on a lot of issues. From what I've heard, like, he's staunchly pro-life. He's, you know, where I am with the gender issues. And I just feel like he's level-headed. I don't feel like he's a loose cannon. I feel like he's articulate. Um, And he seems like he'd be a good leader. So I know he's only pulling third, so not a great chance to make it. But I'm, I'm interested in, you know, hearing more from him and seeing if he can make it, you know. That last woman said DeSantis was her first choice when we eventually asked, which demonstrates a dynamic I've seen play out among a lot of these move on from Trumpers, which is even if people's heads are telling them to go with DeSantis, their hearts are often with Ramaswamy. But people are just worried he doesn't have a chance. For many, though, he's taken over as the Trump without the baggage that DeSantis used to be. (laughs) Tim, you, I think, early said if DeSantis fades that the person who would replace him is Vivek. You know, why do you think he's doing so well with base voters? Two things. Just he doesn't feel like a politician, and he certainly doesn't feel like a politician for the Bush era. And this is what these folks want. You know, you played the clip of the woman giving this lengthy excuse for like how you don't need to know anything about foreign policy to be president. And, you know, I watched that entire focus group that you did, and there was a lot more along that same vein. Right. They like that they're not a politician and they will come up with any post hoc excuses that they can for anything that he says that feels like he doesn't know what he's talking about or whatever. It's like, ah, you can bring in people. I thought the people, the experts you'd bring in were the deep state. They don't really think about that, though. So anyway, they like that he is not like a Bush politician. And then the other thing, I'm just going to give you this little scoop from another uh, story I've been working on. I don't know that people have really made this connection, but Vivek and Elise Stefanik were pals. At Harvard. And, I, you know, I've heard they've been talking. And once that really clicked with me, Elise gave him like a roadmap 
for how you do this, like how you just feed people the MAGA stuff they want. I mean, she's been like this test case almost, like in Congress, of somebody that like wasn't MAGA, but just put on the costume and embraced it and did it wholeheartedly. And in a lot of ways, I think that he was able to watch that and learn from that, where these other folks were all politicians, you know, already. And so he was able to kind of jump in here and give the dogs the dog food that they like, so to speak. Yeah, so two things on this. One, I knew that DeSantis was starting to crater with these voters when they started saying he seems like a regular politician. The not a regular politician thing, the extent to which that runs so deep in the Republican Party and presents, I think, a real challenge for Republican politicians in the future can't be overstated. The second thing about Ramaswamy is like, this guy... He was on like a Soros scholarship. He definitely voted for Obama. He was like, it's not just Elise Stefanik. Like he was a young Democrat, like not just Main Street Republican moderate, like Elise, right? He was kind of shaping up to be a Dem. Yeah, I think he was more like just making money. He did go to a Democratic fundraiser, right? But yeah, I and mean, I think he was just like a non-political striving kid. What does this mean going forward for the Republican Party that like these are the kinds of people that can break out? And like, if you are good on foreign policy, as Nikki Haley is, that actually voters are like, get out of here with all your knowledge and experience. We don't want any of that here. Hate it. Yeah. I I mean, give me this weird guy who ran some tech company that built people out of money and raps to Eminem and loves Trump. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, Mitch called it during the midterms, the candidate quality problem, (laughs) you know, but I do think that it's a a semi-permanent issue, right? Because they're not building a bench, right? For all of a sudden, there was like concern about the Democratic bench for a while that wasn't built during the Obama era. They're not building a bench in the Trump era because they can't find people. Like, it's very challenging to find somebody that is deft enough to do the Trump shtick without coming off like a complete conspiratorial loon, right? And somebody that wants to be in politics, it doesn't feel like a politician. So what I think that this means is that there is going to be a lane for a while for somebody that wants to come off the sidelines and just sing from the MAGA hymn book because that's what folks want and there's not a long line to get into, as Vivek found. Now, it's harder than it seems. Say what you want about him. He's very talented. Like when I went to see him, he's obviously smart. He's obviously deft on his feet. But even somebody smart that went to Harvard that's deft on his feet at times, when you start dabbling in conspiracy land, sometimes you start sounding like a lunatic, like when he starts questioning 9-11, right? So, you know, it's, it's challenging. So maybe, you know, the Republican Party will be saved from itself because like, it's just hard to imitate Trump. But I think that the party is going to be at risk of having these types of figures, Vivek-type figures, come in from the outside and take over state parties and maybe future national campaigns, you know, for a little while. Yeah, well, I think it's clear that if Trump wins a second term, shudder at the thought. Oh, my God. Both Vivek and uh, Elise will probably feature prominently in that administration. For sure. But let's turn our attention to somebody who I think would not feature prominently in that administration, which is Nikki Haley. Uh, So in that first debate, you know, she slapped Vivek around a little bit and was pretty good on substance. And she got generally positive reviews from the focus groups on the day after that debate. Let's listen. You could tell she was very prepared. Um, She really hammered uh, the, what's his name, Vivek guy. She was all over him. I I was impressed. I liked that, you know, she also 
emphasize what's realistic. You know, some candidates, they say, I want to do this. I want to do that. She's like, yeah, but what's realistic of Congress? Like, what can we actually get across? So I liked that point of like, we're not about like lofty ideas. What do we actually need to do to make it happen? So I liked that point, at least. So here's the problem for Nikki in the focus groups. She routinely gets kind of like people saying, I like Nikki Haley. She seems all right. You know, whatever. Nikki Haley is almost never the top choice for the people in the focus groups. Tim Scott's actually got this too. They like her okay. They like him okay. They don't want to vote for them for president. Mm. You know, you wrote when you called that like the imaginary GOP primary where there's these like normie candidates that think they have a real chance. Now you talk about Haley being one of them. Does she not understand what's happened to the Republican Party? What is she doing right now? Like, what's her end game? I have a theory on this, but what's yours? I'd love to hear your theory. I think maybe it's ego. So here's something that's sometimes hard to wrap your head around, right? These two things can be true. Nikki Haley cannot win a majority of this party. But there's still a pretty decent chunk of people that really like Nikki Haley, right? And so she has big events in South Carolina. When she's out on the street, people see her and they're like, hey, Nikki, you're my girl. You know, I've told this story before about John Huntsman, right? Like, we ended up getting 17% in New Hampshire. That's kind of a lot. When we're walking down the street in Manchester and Portsmouth, like people are shouting at them, hey, John, like, love you. We're filling up town halls. And so you can convince yourself, okay, all right, something's happening here. I can feel it in the streets. You know, I can feel the energy at the events. And so my guess is that there's some of that at play. Maybe there's some of that she doesn't know what else to do with her life at play. So why not give it a shot? And then I think, you know, I was talking to a political reporter who's doing a profile on her. I think that there's this, okay, you get this momentum up to 20, and then you get into magical thinking. You're like, all right, well, what happens if I get to 20, and then Trump goes to jail, right? Or like, what happens if I get to 20, and then I get to 30, and then people start giving me a second look, then the polls are showing me up 10, right? You start to kind of talk yourself into it. But the problem is that, like, that's her ceiling, kind of. I, I don't know that she realizes that. I'm not sure. She and people like Mike Pence are discovering just now the extent to which the party is not like they thought. They spend too much time at AEI events and other mainstream events. And they dabble in the stuff, right? She like go and do a photo op with Diamond and Silk or whatever. But like, I don't think they realized quite the hostility ultimately to the pre-Trump politicians. My theory of her case was that she was running to cut a deal with somebody by South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Like, I actually think that she thought if Ron DeSantis was running neck and neck with Trump, that somebody would come to her with a deal for her 12% in South Carolina. Yeah, it's a decent theory. That's where I think she was thinking. I think that sounded good on paper. The problem was, is like, to be that person, she had to like ding up DeSantis. And she's had this sort of strange way of navigating Trump where she says like, on the debate stage, she said, you know, Trump is, you know, got the most unpopular president. So she, like, she's kind of hitting them because she knows she sort of has to to differentiate, but also talks about what a great president he was and how she's on his side and how she's in his cabinet. The other thing for Nikki Haley that I want to flag, and I got to say, I was a little bit surprised when I started hearing this in the focus groups when I was asking about Haley which is that plenty of people in the focus groups over the last few months had real qualms about whether or not the country is ready for a woman as president. Let's listen. I'm imagining her like meeting with Putin or the, you know, the Chinese leader, et cetera. Um, I just, I don't think she has a chance at winning. And I'm just going to say it. Like, I think that 
not enough people will vote for her. I think some women will be against her because she's Republican. And I also know some men like they're not going to vote for a woman as president, whether it's right or wrong. I feel like voting for her is a vote down the drain. I don't want to sound, you know, bad or anything, but I just think I I prefer male presidents and I think they (laughs) are just stronger talking and speaking and in a lot of different areas. So um, I don't know. I would just prefer a male candidate. I don't dislike Nikki Haley. I don't, you know, have anything bad to say about her. I would just prefer DeSantis or Trump. Yeah, I guess it's just a personal thing. Um, I voted for females for Senate females um, and Congress before, but as a president, I would just like to see a male. Uh, it's not that I don't like her. I'm 100% opposed to a female president, which is probably not going to be a very popular thing to say, but I was in the military and so many other world leaders will not respect us with a female leader and won't listen to anything that we do or say. And we open ourselves up to way more attacks. It, the world is just not ready for that yet. So I played you some of them. Like, When they would say it out loud, other people would sit there and nod. And the whole world leaders won't respect them. What might happen if they're on their period? They might be having a pillow fight (laughs) in the West Wing. I mean, this stuff is like, and you knew that people thought it, but like that they felt comfortable enough to be that explicit. That's sort of my question for you is, I think this is what Trump did, right? Trump has just made it okay to say this stuff out loud. People are kind of like, well, maybe somebody won't like this, but like, They're going to vocalize it, which I guess, I don't know. If you're going to think it, I guess I'd rather know you think it. I I don't know. This is one of those where you got to want to come through the glass and just be like, have you all ever heard of Margaret Thatcher, (laughs) the Iron Lady? Do do we need to watch a movie? They have not heard of Margaret Thatcher. We're ending this focus group right now, and I'm putting on an Iron Lady documentary (laughs) for you guys, and you're all going to sit here and spend the next 30 minutes watching it. Yeah, it's some wild stuff. And, and you know, I, I got asked early on in the primary about Nikki Haley, you know, people would be like, well, do you think people will vote for a woman or whatever? And I was like, yes. I was like, this is like kind of a passe conversation. And then I was like, actually, wrong, 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 wrong. I mean, lots of people will, but there is still this sort of real, this real voice. And I think Trump's given it more permission. Now, we wouldn't want somebody emotionally unstable in the White House. So you better hand the keys over to Donald Trump. Yeah, you know what's funny though? These same people, I bet if it was Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert or Carrie Lake, they might get on board. But as we know, like you said, this is really just about for president because they got to mm. walk and talk tough. But Senator, I, I, yeah. I voted for females. I voted for females. Put it on a shirt. All right. Let's talk about Scott Mentum, Tim Scott. I was like, Scott who? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, he got pretty negative reviews coming out of that first debate. But, you know, he actually gets some love, uh, like Nikki, from the focus groups over the last few months. Let's listen. I saw him with this interview. um, He shredded the the people on The View. Yeah, Um, that was great. For me, he's just genuine. And did you see his interview on The View? He was outstanding. Uh-huh. He defended himself. He defended what he believed in. And I actually think that they were they were hushed. They really had no response. I think he is going to uh, either pick up or pretty much dominate the evangelical Christian vote. I will always have a soft spot for Tim Scott. I have voted for him since he ran for county council in Charleston County. And I That's think he's a wonderful man. If this is not his time around, I hope his time is coming soon because he is wonderful. His story is wonderful. He is even handed. He's a gentleman. The good news is 
I don't think we've had anybody in the focus group who said out loud they will not vote for a black candidate. That's good. Great news there. Those ladies on The View were hushed. They were hushed. He put them in their place. Yeah, they were hushed. He got a little bump. He got a bump after The View thing. That clip went viral, and that's what you really hear people mention about him. But what do you make of... I actually haven't read anything to this effect, but I suspect, post that first debate performance, that all the donor money that was going to him is maybe moving to Nikki. What do you think? I got to tell you, you're not supposed to say this as a political pundit, but I am just mystified by what Tim Scott is doing, what the point of the campaign is. Maybe those focus groups provide an answer. Maybe it's just simply a... Some rich guy wants to give me a lot of money, so I'm going to use this to raise my profile and I can maybe sell some books and go out on the speaking circuit. I I really just don't know. And I'm making it my mission to try to figure this out. So maybe I can have a report for you by a different podcast. But the whole thing is so weird. He barely talked to the debate. Now he's got the fake girlfriend or real girlfriend, whatever, that he won't show people that he's talking about. It's really embarrassing and cringe. He has a fake girlfriend from that lives in Niagara Falls? Maybe this girlfriend is real. I don't know. I, By the way, I'm not even judging him over this. It's just like, why is he doing this? He was on a stage in Iowa where like one of the local Iowa politicians asked him. He's like, so I hear you have a special lady. And he's like, yeah, I've got a nice Christian lady in my life. But then he doesn't say her name or doesn't mention her. And it's just like, he has a Canada girlfriend. Like, why are you putting yourself through this? Like, You're not going to be the president. Donald Trump is never going to pick you. I'm mystified by this one. I know I'm supposed to come on to this podcast to provide insight. I have insight on all the other candidates. This one is just a flat mystery to me. I liked your piece that you wrote about the super PACs lighting their money on fire. Oh, yeah, sure. So why don't you hit that for a second? Because I think in the fantasy primary, there's still a lot of real money sloshing around. Yeah, there is. There's certain kinds of things that you can do with money, right? You know this. You you run PACs. This is not to say that all super PACs are worthless, right? Like I don't run a candidate super PAC. I run like a Republican voters against Trump type super right. PAC, which is what I'm meant saying. to do a very like a slice mission. A specific thing, right? Yeah. Exactly. And there are certain things that you can do with paid advertising in the year of our Lord 2023, when everybody's on YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and watching TV, but they've cut the cord and some haven't. It's not like the old days where you can put on an ad during the nightly news in Des Moines and have everybody see it and have everybody learn about your candidate and you can inject something into the conversation. It's all too diffuse now. So there's certain things you can do with money. And Tim Scott is running a ton of soft, gauzy ads about how he's a nice guy, including the view thing so for people that didn't see it on their social media they saw it on tv like he really gave it to those ladies on the view and that i think you're probably seeing that impact in these focus groups when people are saying nice things about him they're like he seems nice he seems good he's a black republican and he's nice to trump and so you can do that or you can inject one negative thing about an opponent via television advertising right or you can do what arvad is trying to do like talk to a small narrow percentage of voters but this idea that you can spend 60 million and run ads about a person and that people are going to be sitting there watching their TV and be like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll be for Tim Scott for president is insane. It's insane. Everyone in their life is talking about this race. Like, this is not a city council race. Everyone knows Donald Trump. They've deeply held views about Donald Trump. They might have Donald Trump merchandise. Donald Trump has talked about at church, on sports talk radio, on cable TV. The presidential race is everywhere, particularly in these early states. And so running a 30-second ad that's like, Tim Scott is a conservative 
man who did a good interview on The View, and you can count on him. Like, whose mind is that going to change? It's crazy. And yet these consultants are continuing to just light money on fire running these kinds of ads that worked in 1996 because there weren't all these other places where people were getting information about the candidates. And there wasn't a leading candidate in the field in 1996 that was like the most famous person in history besides Hitler. Yeah. And I don't want to get into it too deeply, but the consultant class that's bilking the billionaire class all together to like run this fantasy primary. Like it is like they're conjuring something and none of it's real. Like how much money has Trump even raised? Spends most of his money on lawyers. Yeah, lawyers. The indictments are like his campaign strategy. Trump did one of the one things you can do with this money. Early in the race, he did spend money going negative on DeSantis in Iowa on TV. Yep. And he brought up how DeSantis was disloyal and da-da-da-da-da. That probably had some impact on the margins, um, you know, because people didn't know DeSantis that well and they were, you know, he was defining them and... But he's not spending that much money. Like, it's not like there's a bunch of TV ads being spent in South Carolina right now that's like, Donald Trump, businessman, you know? <laughs> like, built 50 miles of wall. Right? Like the Trump campaign, say what you want about it. I mean, it's a grift. He's, he's redirecting a lot of money to lawyers. But they recognized something dating all the way back to 2016 that all the professional political consultants didn't. And for some reason, the professional political consultants in 2024 working for Tim Scott and Ron DeSantis are running the same strategy that failed in 2016. It makes me mad, really. Yeah. Give me the money. <laughs> I argued for some poor kids. Like, this is crazy. These guys don't need beach houses. Yeah, well, you know what makes me crazy about it is that they're going to spend all this money in a Republican primary for nothing, and they won't spend any money in a general election to try to defeat Trump. This drove me crazy. Did you see this Politico article about the DeSantis Super PAC a couple weeks ago where it was like they're micro-targeting? They're testing Ottumwa, Iowa, and then they're testing Cedar Falls, and they're using control groups, and they're determining that if they use this message or this vehicle, they'll get a 6% better favorability. And I'm like, you're losing by 50. <laughs> you're losing by 50. 6% better favorability does nothing. But to your point, that stuff could matter in a general election, very narrow, right? Like, That's like right. moving That's right. 6% of these soft Republicans from Trump to nothing or from nothing to Biden, that could save the country. Moving 6% of people from DeSantis to go from 12 back to 18, that's just lighting money on fire. Yeah. All right. Just to wrap it up on Tim Scott, though, <laughs> that August debate for him was was not great. And so I want to play how people thought about Scott and then some of the other candidates they deemed irrelevant after that debate. He tried to insert himself a couple of times, but he, he just was not aggressive enough. Yeah, and that's noticeable. And you don't want to be noticed like that. Tim Scott, Chris Christie, and Asa, or Asa, however you pronounce it, I don't... Like, you don't want someone that's not memorable. And I think that they just are not contenders, especially when you're trying so badly to go against Biden that I think is pretty not liked by everyone. I would put Bergen in that category, too. Bergen. So it doesn't really make a difference if it's <laughs> Bergen lost or uh, Tim Scott lost or Asa Hutchinson lost. It's like they were not really out there. They didn't stand out. One name we haven't said uh, or nobody's mentioned is Mike Pence. I was actually really disappointed. And I mean, I thought he had some good answers, but I was disappointed in how him and Vivek kind of went at each other. I thought it was kind of embarrassing when, especially when he made the comment about, well, let me slow it down for you. I don't know. It just made me see him a little differently. And I didn't appreciate that comment. Going back to Pence, what kept on going through my mind as he was talking 
is I couldn't get the Trump uh, indictments out of my head. I just couldn't. So I think we're going to do a whole Pence episode. So I don't want to dig like so deeply into Pence, but we'll have just watched the second debate. What is Mike Pence doing? Asa, God bless him. Mm. And Will Hurd, God bless him. And mm. you and I disagree on this, but Chris Christie, God bless him in this particular moment, but not before. Give me just like a strategist sort of rank punditry. Like, when do you think these guys start to drop? I forget. You didn't play this clip, but one of the women, the most MAGA woman in the group says when the moderator is asking who won the debate, she comes to her and she's like, nobody said Trump yet, but I think it was basically Trump. And then That's basically right. everyone on the Zoom yeah. is like, yeah, but yeah, you're right. It was basically Trump. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the one guy saying nobody mentioned Mike Pence, that was the deepest cut. So, you know, we don't need to discuss Pence anymore because that was like kind of all you need to say. The focus group forgot he existed. I think that it's different for different ones. I assume Asa will drop any day. God love him. I'm with you on that. He did have one woman in the focus group who really liked him. Um, and so that was heartwarming. But, you know, Bergam has a lot of money. So he's just doing this for attention, right? So what's the point of dropping if you're him? Chris Christie. We don't need to fight about Chris Christie, but I'm, he said he's going to stand through New Hampshire, which, as I've said from the start, only serves to help Donald Trump. He can say whatever he wants, but Chris Christie in a New Hampshire is not helpful. Chris Christie endorsing someone else for New Hampshire, it would be helpful conceivably, but sounds like he's going to stay through to New Hampshire. Who am I forgetting? I already did this once with Tim Scott. It's hard for me to get in the head of Mike Pence, too. I mean, I, I, I do think at this point he has seen reality. And so maybe he sees that there is some greater mission. You know, I've always said about presidential campaigns, sometimes there is a mission for entering a presidential race that is greater than trying to win, right? Because it is the opportunity to get on a stage and speak to a broad audience that you wouldn't have otherwise. And so I think that that's probably where Mike Pence is. He's like, let's run through the tape in Iowa, get on these stages, talk about the Reagan three-legged stool and talk about conservatism versus populism. And I think that's probably what Pence is thinking at this point. The amount of sound that we have of people talking about how much they dislike or don't care about Mike Pence is like unbelievable. And I have said this for a long time. They must be running their own focus groups. They must be listening. Like there's no way they're not hearing what we're hearing. Maybe you should run a bonus episode that's just like anti-Mike Pence well, porn. <laughs> that's just you just you saying, hey, guys, uh, this is a midweek episode of The Focus Group, and I'm not going to give you any analysis here, but here's 40 minutes of people shitting on Mike Pence. <laughs> I think we could put together like two hours. Uh, all right. On that note, Tim Miller, my friend, thank you so much for wrapping up our two-part season premiere with us. And thanks to all of you groupies for listening to the Focus Group podcast. <laughs> Remember to subscribe, rate and review, and then also subscribe to The Bulwark on YouTube. We're doing video now, so uh, I let you see me red-faced after working out. So next week, hey, we're going to check in with Democrats, give people a break from Trump and Republicans, the state of the country, and take their temperature on their excitement about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's re-election prospects. You're not going to want to miss it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.